We're back with another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com, presented by Coors Light. I am John Schmelk. The man to my left is Paul Tatino. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. We'll also get to your tweets at hashtag GiantsChat. Get them in. We'll read a couple over the course of the show. In fact, the tweet from a week or so ago is going to be the kind of opening topic for us after we give you some pertinent information. The Giants released their training camp schedule to the fans today. Go to Giants.com and you can check it out. It's on my Twitter feed as well. You can click on the link. I retweeted the Giants tweet. It's on their feed as well. If you want to check it out, we'll give you some brief details now. And then we shall talk about some Giants football. So they will be free and open to the public. Training camp practices this summer. And you will have 10 of them. Good number. I'll give you the dates. But again, go to Giants.com. You can see them all there in totality. Practice for the first half at camp will be at 245. So the first six days at 245 will be July 25th. Then the weekend, the Saturday and Sunday, July 27th and 28th. The next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, July 30th, 31st, and August 2nd. Those are all at 245. Then you get to the following week, Tuesday, August 6th, 1045. Sunday, August 11th, 1045. Monday, August 12th, 1045. Tuesday, August 13th, 1045. And that's when the official training camp closes down. Even though the team will still be practicing, camp is closed. Right. So, and the team's and the team breaks. If if we were in Albany, that's when we would have come back. But we're not in Albany, so it really doesn't make any difference. That's a lot of years ago, John. I Thank know. goodness for those of us who are from Jersey. Well, you also couldn't stay up there like like we did. I did that one year. It My, was pretty nasty. Hey, so uh, the good news here is that there's a variety of weekday and weekend practices open. So that yes. if your schedule doesn't fit one or the other, there is an opportunity for you to get into uh, an opportunity to see the Giants. And just some more detailed uh, information. And again, you can find all, everything on Giants.com. Make sure you check it out. Um, no cost. I mentioned that. I'll mention it again. Fans wishing to attend practice sessions must register for tickets in advance. You can register for up to six tickets per practice session. Once registered, fans will receive their tickets via email. You have to present them to gain admittance. Um, while registering for tickets is recommended strongly, fans will also be admitted to come in on a walk-on basis if space permits. And last year, space often did permit. Um, yes. Gates open one hour prior to the start of each practice. There'll be accessible seating. Um can be reserved so there you have it um one other thing because i know we're going to get some questions about it by the way there are going to be restroom facilities concession stands cooling tents and a water station and a free kids activity station plenty now, of parking too yes plenty of park <laughs> finally <laughs> before we get to our giants topic uh everyone always asks about autographs okay so here's the rules at least according to the giants release select giants legends will sign autographs during each practice for all fans a listing of those Giants legends and the dates they will sign will be released on Giants.com, at Giants on Twitter, and on the Giants mobile app. Each day after practice, a rotating group of current players will sign autographs for the first 400 fans ages 12 and under. There will be a kids' zone autograph section where the kids can go and get their autographs. Wristbands will be distributed on a first-come, first-served basis for the kids that want to get it. And they can enjoy the rest of practice and then head back to the autograph area 30 minutes prior to the practice. They can be allowed back into that autograph zone. So 
there's the basics for training camp, folks. Make sure you check it out. It's always a, a good time. You can see these guys up close and personal. Uh, you can kind of see how everything's going. It, 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 it's really a fun experience. I recommend if you're a Giants fan, if you have time, if you're off, whether it's a weekend, if you take a day off from work, come down. It's a fun couple of hours, and you have to see the Giants up close like you wouldn't if you go to a game. Absolutely, John, and the good news is the Giants have had enough of winning teams and Super Bowl champions that those legends who usually come out to the training camp practices, many of them actually have won Super Bowls. So when you come and get your autographs with these guys, you get pictures of them wearing the Super Bowl ring and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, Otis Anderson is often one of the guys who comes out, and of course he was a Super Bowl MVP. Um, other superstars who we see a lot of at these things, you'll see uh, probably, well, I don't want to name names because you never know. Those guys may not be available this year, so maybe it's unfair to do that. But you you guys know that there are a number of Giants alums who still live in the area, and that's the good news because they remain attached to the franchise and the fans, and that's always a cool thing. And you can see Paul Dottino. You can't miss him. He's the guy that's glowing like the sun, <laughs> moving at unnatural speeds up and down the sideline. This is true. And he's so excited in camp, he's looking to talk to anybody. So if you go up to him, he will <laughs> chat your ear <laughs> oh, off. Oh, that's right. Am I wrong? As busy as I am watching every play and logging every play, do you think I have time to talk to everybody who wants log, to talk to me? You don't log every play. During the team sessions, I do. But that's not the whole practice. Right. Because the practice is usually 90 minutes or but so. But how do you log running plays? What good does it do you? I take a note on it anyway. It probably doesn't do much, but <laughs> you do take a note on it. Right. I, I hate to say it, but the bad news is when you log in a play like that and then all of a sudden somebody comes up lame and not feeling so good, you're happy that you logged the play yeah, because you have it. point. All right. Now let's get to our football topic today. And I'm going to go back a couple weeks here for this tweet. I've been saving it for a show where there's not a whole lot going on. And I found it. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. And it's from at YFootballN, Anthony. And he wanted us to tell him who we think the 10 most important players on the Giants roster are for the Giants to go to the playoffs. His 10 are as follows. Eli Manning, Lorenzo Carter, Alec Ogletree, Evan Ingram, DeAndre Baker, Jabril Peppers, the center, BJ Hill, Golden Tate, and Marcus Golden. I guess before we start getting into ours, I'm not sure if you want to do separate lists or come up with a consensus list. I think maybe consensus might be the best way to do it. Are we talking about just the best players because they have to play well? Or are we talking about guys that maybe you're not sure about and you need them to play well if you want the team to succeed? Like, I can list the 10 best players and have Kevin Zeitler and Nate Solder in there, but I kind of think I know what those guys are going to give us, right? Well, you so, probably would have uh, um, a Jackrabbit in there, too. Right. So are we looking for the X-Factor players that we're not sure about and we're not going to include the guys that, that we have a real good feel for? Or what's your take? How should we do this? Well, my interpretation would be when you say most important, that says to me that this guy has to produce at a, at a maximum potential level where he's got he's got a max out okay. I, I like okay. to use that phrase a lot he's like got a max one. out i like that one and and if he maxes out the giants have a chance to do something and if this guy doesn't max out chances are they'll fall short of their goals okay i think that's good all right so let's work and the one thing i will agree with anthony on look 
the quarterback position is the quarterback position, right? you got to get good play out of the quarterback See, position if you want to win. Which is why when he says removing Saquon, I think you need to remove Saquon and Eli Manning. Okay. I think those have to be disqualified. Because those are too obvious. Much too obvious. Okay, so let's move those two guys aside. Let, let's do our 10 except those two guys. All right, I'm going to go... How about we go back and forth, and we'll at least list a guy that we think has to be on the list no matter what. And I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. I think the Giants desperately need DeAndre Baker to be good right away. I think he's going to win the starting job. He's already taken over first-team reps. And your defensive backfield and your cornerbacks are only as good as your second and third cornerbacks on the field. Because if teams don't want to attack Janoris Jenkins, not going to have to. All right? So whoever that second cornerback is is going to have to be a really good player. And I think DeAndre Baker is going to be that guy, and he's going to have to play well if this Giants defense is going to succeed this year. Do you disagree with him being on the list? Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I think he's probably too high for me. Oh no, I, I'm not. I'm not doing order of importance. I just think ten guys on the list. I'm oh. not. I'm, I'm not trying to rank them necessarily. I would agree with you in the position. I don't care if Baker or Beal wins the starting spot. Whoever wins the starting spot there, if for some reason Baker gets hurt and Beal turns out to be the starter, then Beal's got to be the guy who plays great. Fine. Agreed. So it's the spot. So why don't we go Baker slash Beal? Fine. Do that? That works? I think that, for me, that's better. Okay. So consensus, that's our first one. I should start writing these down, right? So we make sure we don't go more than 10 here. And I, and, and I think if, if you're going to flip it to me, then yeah, I'm going to go, I, I have to go right to the offensive line. I mean, you know me. If I don't go offensive line here, then obviously this is an imposter sitting in this chair. So who are you going with, though? What player? Well, I, I got to go with Solder. Left, left, the left tackle is 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 the linchpin of the offensive line. Yeah, but does he have to? Ma- if if Solder gives you what he usually gives you, you're okay, right? I mean, you remember we're talking about the guys that have to max out. Okay, but if he does, if he has, if he all of a sudden Nate Solder winds up getting hurt, or has an old cranky kind of year where his whole season plays like the first month he did last year, that's a big problem. Okay, I agree with you. That's fair. All right, we can go Solder. Put him on the list. That's the second guy. Well, if you're going to go Solder, I'm going to pile on. I think Mike Remmers is hugely important. Uh, no I think problem. he's going to win that right tackle spot. And poor protection on a, one of those tackle spots can really hinder an offense. So I'm going to put Remmers on the list. I'm good with that, too. All right, your turn. I would probably at this point, since we've already got two old linemen on there, and even though I love to go trenches, Nah, I, okay. I, th- I think I think we have enough offensive line. My my issue, well, my my issue here, now that we're down to the fourth spot, I I gotta go with Ogletree because hmm. when they brought him here, yeah, I, I wouldn't even put him on my top ten. That's and that's fine. My reasoning would be when they, when they brought him here, I was specifically told he was brought in because of his intelligence, his ability to lead guys, get them lined up in the right positions and to get everybody organized back there. Now, unfortunately, because the Giants were suspect in the secondary, no matter what Ogletree said or did, the Giants' defense still crumbled last year. The secondary simply did not have enough talent. It's my opinion that these young guys will have a dramatic improvement in the talent level of the secondary. Therefore, Ogletree lining everybody up, whether it's the young guys who he's going to have to help or it's even the guys up front, including Mr. Lawrence, big old Dexter. Um, I think his football intelligence 
is going to be extremely important. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's making all the plays. It means he's helping everybody else make the plays. Yeah, I know what he is. And, and I think, um, barring an injury, and and the game isn't, you know, oh, if this guy gets hurt, we're in trouble. That That's that's not what the game is. So I, I kind of know what Ogletree is. I don't think he's going to give you more than much more than what he is. I don't think he's going to give you much less than what he is, right? I just think that's what Alec Ogletree is. So that's Here's why, the quarterback of the now, defense. He is very important. But I think the fact that I, I'm pretty sure about what he's going to give you, same thing with Solder, it's kind of the same argument there, that I won't necessarily put him on there, but I go, I see what you're saying. Okay. I'm going to go Evan Ingram because I believe if this offense wants to be effective through the air, he's going to have to be a mismatch problem. And he hasn't proven to be that consistently yet over the course of his career because of injuries and, and other factors that have held him back. I think they desperately need him to be a big play player. So Ingram has to be on my top 10. I wouldn't put him on mine, but I'm not going to fight you on it. Uh, because You I, don't think he's very important to this offense, really? I think he is. But again, if he doesn't max out and have a great year, I still think the Giants offense, because of having Manning and having Saquon and having Tate and having Shepard and maybe... One of the speed burners turns out to be a terrific third wide receiver. I think Red Ellison could easily wind up catching 35 balls and be a productive tight end. Oh, yeah, but he's not, he's nearly, not giving you what Ingram is. He's though. not giving you what Ingram gives you, but I still think this offense can score over 20 points a game if Evan Ingram has an okay year. But don't you think that you need matchup problems? It right helps. now, the only if, it helps. If, if Ingram's not it, the only matchup problem you have on offense is Barkley. You have one guy that's a matchup problem, and that's it. Um, Shepard can be out of the slot. He's not a mismatch guy. He's a guy that can win one-on-one, but he's right. not a mismatch guy. Oh, f- flat out, just burn somebody? Yeah, mismatch well, guy. Well, you're, you're hoping that uh, Darius Slayton or Coleman could do that. That's why That's why those guys are here. Oh, but they're not mismatch guys. They're not guys that you have to double team. No, I, pr- I promise no, you, no, 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 you're no, never going to no, see a double team no. on Darius Slayton this year. I totally agree with that. Right. But, but you, on any given play, Coleman or Slayton have shown with their speed they can get behind the entire right, defense. Right. But my point is that heading into a game, if Evan Ingram develops into that prime year's Jimmy Graham type of player, okay, which he has in him, he has it in him, he can do it. He's so short for a month. You have to game plan for him. And the only guy other than Barkley that you would have to game plan for is a guy like Ingram, in my opinion. I don't think you're game planning for Shepard. I don't think you're game planning for Tate. They're good players. They can beat you, but I don't think you're game planning for them. Ingram could present that type of matchup issue where teams have to um, make sure he's accounted for the way they scheme their defense. I just think you're overvaluing him, but that's okay. Okay, that's fine. I'm not saying he's not worth it, but I just think there's too much emphasis being placed on him. I think the offense can succeed even if he's not great. All right, go. Who's your next guy? Uh, my next guy is probably on the basis that too many big plays were happening on, on the back end. I, You've already gone the other corner, so I can't say Jenkins. I might go Peppers here. Because the way that... I have no problem with Peppers on you know, the list. The, the, you figure, again, w- again, we keep going back to Betcher and his scheme and how he wants to use the multidimensional talents of his strong safety. I think he's probably the next guy for me. And, and quite honestly, you hope, you hope, if the Giants' front seven, especially the linebackers, are better, he won't have to do as many 
run stuffing responsibilities as Landon Collins did. Because that's part of the reason why Landon Collins wasn't a great fit. In a lot of cases, he was trying to make up for some substandard linebacker play. Honestly. I mean, to be fair about it, I hope that the linebackers improve to the degree where Peppers doesn't feel he's got to do that. Fair. I have no problem with with Jerbo Peppers on the list, and I think it is important as the guy that could be that Swiss Army knife and bet your scheme from the play well. Uh, obviously, he was part of the return in a big trade that you want him to be a really good player to make that trade make more sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think Pepper should be on the list. No issues with that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Look, you have to put a pass rusher on this list. I'm ha- And the reason I haven't picked one yet, I don't know which one to pick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very fair. Which is what makes it tough. I'm not going to pick Zimenez because he's a third-round pick, and I'm not putting that on him. It's not fair. Right. Um, Kareem Martin, I think, has been in this league long enough where you know what he is. I don't think it makes sense to put him on the list. So... Maybe you got to put both guys on there. So uh, I'm just going to pick Marcus Golden. I'll let you pick the other guy <laughs> because, you know, he's a guy that had 12 and a half sacks a couple years ago. I don't think he has to get to 12 and a half again. But if Marcus Golden finishes the year with three or four sacks, Giants are in a lot of trouble. They need him to show up and get six plus, seven plus sacks this year. And I think he's capable of it, but they need someone to step up and be a guy that consistently rushed the passer, and he's the only guy on the roster that has any history of doing it in the NFL. Correct. So I'm going to go with Marcus Golden. I don't necessarily have a problem with that pick, so I'll defer to you on that one and, and let you have him as the pass rusher on the list. I mean, he, that the, the dude had double-digit sacks one year, which is the only... The right. only credible evidence you have that someone on this roster can do it. By the way, I have no problem putting the other guy on this list, too. And, and if you don't pick him now, I'm going to pick him on my next one. So you go up next. You're well, up. You, you you go ahead and take Carter because yep. I'm, I'm taking Aldrich Rosas. We're at seven by him. <laughs> picking the kicker. Damn straight. <laughs> uh, did you see how many kickers beat the Giants last I year? Don't, I don't know. And, and by the way, Rosas' big kick at the end of the first half against the Bears won that game for the Giants. Yes. And, and he was the best kicker in the league last year, so he needs to be that good again this year. Because let me tell you something, if he's like he was as a rookie, and you guys all know I defended him because I believed in his talent, which is great, but if he should regress and have a bad year, which I don't think he will be, he could easily cost them three wins. And this is a team that can't afford three wins, John. Or three losses like... Oh, no, absolutely not. Right? Mm-hmm. They need every every chance that the Giants have to win a game. They need to win that game. They cannot gift any games away this year. They're not that. They're not good enough to do it. All right, so my last guy on the list, Paul, I'm going to go with Lorenzo Carter. Uh, you need two bass rushers in the league. You don't need one. Mm-hmm. So he needs to get better from last year when he had four sacks. I think he got stronger. He looked like his upper body grew a lot over the course of... Uh, this past offseason from last year to this year. He came back stronger, four sacks last year. He needs to get you six-plus this year and be somebody that gets relatively consistent pressure on the outside across from Marcus Golden. So I, I think Carter is my last guy in this list, and you are responsible for number 10. Uh, let's see. For number 10, I will go... You know, another guy, and I'll throw out a suggestion for you. Yeah. I think... To be able to truly maximize Pepper's complete skill set, you could argue Antoine Bethea. You could. And I don't have a problem with that because it's the logic that I was going with before right. when I talked about mm-hmm. Ogletree. So you could put you could put no, Bethea on I, there. It's your choice. Well, honestly, I don't want to do this to him either because it's not fair. 
But Dexter Lawrence really needs to come in and make an impact right away. I have no problem with that. Dude, first, dude, first round picks. First round picks are a different story. I'm not putting that pressure on a third rounder. Okay. First rounder? Come in and play, bro. Well, then I'm then I'm going to take Dexter Lawrence because we all know that you've got to win the early downs before you can put pressure on people on the later downs. And interior pass pressure would be helpful from him too. It would be, and they do think that he can do some of that. So, well, that you know what? That's why they. That's why. They, that's why you take him there that's because why he provides the extra edge. Yeah, if he does not give you interior pass rush, that's a mistake at seventeen. And basically, Dave Gettleman, Pat Shermer said as much when they did their press conference after the fact. They did. So, if he was strictly going to be a run stopper, he doesn't hold as much value. Maybe he's a second rounder. Then. You know, uh, but there's a guy who sent me a tweet, and I want to build off of this because it's important. Sure. It goes off of what you just said, and I wish I could find it here. I'm so sorry. Do you want me to go to the first call while you try to find it? Uh, sure. All right, let's do that. It's presented by Coors Light, 201-939-4513. Mike in Atlanta will lead us off. Hey, Mike. Mike going once. Sounds like Mike might have hung up. Hello? Oh, Matt, I think you the wrong button pushed in. There we go. Now we're cooking with gas. And now we got Mike. What's going on, pal? Hello, Mike. Mike He's going gone. Once. Nice. I bet you Mike thought that we lost him. We went to him the first time. So, Mike, call back. I'll make sure. Matt, if you want to see if he's on the line, just let me know. I've got the tweet. Okay, go ahead, Paul. Christopher Nails says, over under, the team will have 27 sacks on the year. Oh, you better. And that goes to what you were saying before about important guys on the roster, and you were selecting two pass rushers. To me, I mean, heck, I've said this before. you got to have about 42 that's usually my number. That's the litmus test. It's the rough guide. What was last year, 34? 32, 33, something like that. It was a little low 30s. And that's not going to work. No, it's not. It's not going to work. If they have 27 this year, that's, that's a big problem. Yeah. No, like literally, guys, folks, this might sound like a hot take. If they end next year with 24 sacks. 27, he said. If they end the year with 27 sacks, if they win more than six games, I'd be shocked. It's not, that's not a good number. And I know that, again, outlier, Patriots had a last in the league in sacks and won a championship. I get that. That is an outlier. The Patriots are always an outlier. They really are. <laughs> okay. And, and, and despite what we always say, and I'm really uh, em- emphasizing this uh, more often than not, that pressures are even sometimes more important than sacks. Sure. I get all of that. Mm-hmm. Quarterback hits can be just as important or even sometimes more. I get all of that. But eventually those are going to turn into sacks if they're yeah. enough. 27 is not good. No, bad. Very bad. So let's Very let's say bad. let's say it's got to be over because we expect the Giants to be decent this year. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. You know, even if Betcher trusts the secondary, you'll see more pressures too, which will end up leading to more sacks, even if they're not traditional winning without blitzing anybody. Mike in Atlanta is back, and he leads us off. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How are you? Hello. Oh, great. What's up? Just dovetailing into this conversation, um, I go as far back as going to the Giant Games at Shea Stadium. So nice. not as old as you, Paul, but well, I go no back is. pretty far away. <laughs> the um, Craig Morton era. But to, to piggyback on this conversation, you know, I really was thinking about the last conversation we had when I called in about Evan Ingram. And, John, you made a comment, which you just said again today, which you said last week, which really had me thinking about the Giants season. And, and your comment was, that Evan Ingram is the only mismatch the Giants have in the passing game, and I frankly agree with you. Other than Barkley, now I think they can use Barkley as a mismatch in the passing game too. Yes. In fairness, yes. okay. But this, if we just if we're just talking receivers, yes, I I agree with you that there is no mismatches with uh, Sterling Shepard. There's no mismatches with Tate. 
I don't think those are guys that are going to keep defensive coordinators up at night. And uh, because of that, it, I really expect the Giants to be worse than they were last year on all three components of the team. But I'm actually okay with that from the standpoint, in my heart of hearts, I always knew this was a three-year rebuild. Um, and if you look at this objectively with the offense and the defense and the special team, uh, just real quickly, you know, the offense, you guys discussed the problems, but I think the last four games of last year is what you're going to see all year with this Giants team. They're going to face defenses stacking the box right up front from week one against Barkley. Hey, Mike, and Mike, without- Mike, 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 real quick. Team stacked the box against Barkley all year last year. It wasn't just in the last four weeks. That's correct. Well, and, and when you look at the last four weeks, though, I really throw the Redskins and Dallas games out because the Redskins were down to their third and fourth string quarterbacks, and that team already quit, and they were already decimated with injuries. And Dallas sat a lot of their starters in that last game, and they had nothing to play for because they already clinched. So when you look at objectively the two teams that had something to play for in the Titans and the Colts, they really shut Barkley down. Well, well, well remember too. To t- remember too, the Titan game was in really bad weather. So if if you're going to throw out those other two games because of circumstances, then throw out the Titan game because of bad weather. See, that's why I think you you have to take the whole thing as a whole, and and you have to look at it organically. If you start saying, "Well, this game doesn't count because of this," this game doesn't count because of that. That that's when you get really subjective in 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 how you look at something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that, but I'm an old-timer, and I'll tell you, bad weather should not preclude you from running the football unless there's a foot of snow on the ground. You should be able to run the ball in bad weather. Yes, that's true, but I think the passing game was so inept that the Titans had absolutely no fear of the Giants moving the ball through the air, which made it easier to slow down Barkley. This is hard for me because we got an old-school guy on the phone, but he's so... Uh, tunnel vision that he doesn't understand the context of pro football and how the games work. I'm really sorry, man. I, I don't understand how in the world you you have such a warped view of what's going on. And, 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 and Consider the Giants had almost 400 yards against that Colts offense, and Eli Manning absolutely tore them to shreds. And, and yeah, Bar- Barkley, absolutely. They, they, Leonard and company did a job on Barkley. But the Giants' plan in that game was to attack them through the air. And Eli, Eli showed that he still has it and absolutely decimated that Colts defense. It doesn't see what you're get what you're totally losing here is you don't understand that ultimately what matters is do you have enough components on your team, depending upon the strategy and the game plan of a particular week, to win a game. It doesn't matter. This is why I tell people all the time, top 100 NFL players. Somebody said to me the other day that someone came out, I guess Pete Prisco, who I happen to like a lot from CBS, I guess they told him, put out a list of the top 100 players in the league. And the Giants had one guy. It was Saquon Barkley. And somebody sent me a Twitter and wanted to know, does that upset me or does that surprise me? And I'm like, I don't care. The top 100 players in the NFL, I don't care. What I care about is who makes the playoffs at the end of the season and who's playing in January? And I, I, I could care less about what rank somebody is, top 100 players in the league. It's and, crap. And, Mike, I want, I want to add just one more thing real quick. On the Dallas game at the end of the year, I have the play percentages on, on that offensively. Almost all the Dallas starters played except for Ezekiel Elliott. Defensively, starting safety Jeff Heath played 100% of the snaps. Byron Jones played 99%. Other starting corner, Chidobe Awuzie played 99%. Other starting safety, Xavier Woods played 99%. Starting linebacker, Jalen Smith played 86%. 
Antoine Wo um, the Woods, their starting nose tackle, played 70%. Randy Gregory played 70%. Starting tackle Malik Collins played 65%. Slot corner Anthony Brown played 62%. <laughs> Van Der Esch played but 51%. They, they didn't so, have anything to play for. They already clinched. They no, didn't have anything on, to play for. But they're on the field, and they're playing their starters. Yeah, but if they got nothing to play for, then Garrett's benching them. Clinched, but they're not. When these guys clinch, they, they almost, they're going through the motions. Well, then they shouldn't they be on the field because they're risking injury. And they it's really. Every, every single player in the, in the National Football League knows that if he's on the field in a live game and he's not being serious about it, he's putting himself at serious risk. And the whole point, Mike, of, of Garrett playing his starters in that game. And was it was to get, and, and keep it was, a rhythm. And it was actually a big deal in the week heading up to that it game was. is that he wanted them to treat it like a regular game. And that's why he didn't rest Dak Prescott. That's why he didn't rest Amari Cooper and all those guys on, on, on defense I just mentioned. He want, And now, look, you're right. Might they not had their 100% total edge? Yeah, maybe. I buy that. That's fine. But you can't just throw the game out when the Cowboys are one of the top 10 defenses in football and say, oh, that doesn't count. That's not fair. They didn't lay down. They may not have been as sharp as they, as, as they would want it to be that day, but you can't say they laid down. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm just surprised an old school guy like you would make such, such mistakes okay. in, in perception. Right. I really am. Let's move to 2019. Yes. So I'm viewing 2019. I look at the list of quarterbacks and receivers the Giants are going to face. They're looking at potentially Wentz twice, Prescott twice, Jameis Winston, who carved us up pretty good, and now you got Bruce Arians coaching him, so who knows what we're going to get. Cousins, Brady, Tyler Murray, who knows what that's going to look like. Stafford, Trubisky, Rodgers. And the only real wild cards the quarterbacks they're going to face next year are the Redskins, uh, Josh Allen in Buffalo, and probably Rosen at the end of the year at the Dolphins. That's why when I look at the 2019 season, realistically, and I love the Giants probably as much as you, Paul, I could see them, you know, with nine to ten losses and going two, two and four in the division. I could see them getting swept by the NFC North, going 0 and four, either two and two or three and one against the AFC East, and they pro probably split against the Cards and the Bucks. But I'm okay with that because we're going to have probably 75 million in cap room and another draft in 2020 and realistically this was going to always be a three-year rebuild. Don't you but think the that don't you think the quarterbacks the Giants faced last year were better than the quarterbacks they're facing this year? I don't even think it's close. Last year the Giants faced Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. Two guys are not facing this mm -hmm. year. They faced Andrew Luck, they faced Cam mm -hmm. Newton, mm -hmm. they faced Deshaun Watson, mm -hmm. and they still faced Mitchell Trubisky, a, a guy you mentioned from this season. So I think the quarterback schedule last year was a lot tougher than the quarterback schedule this year. i got to be honest with you. You have a rookie in Kyler Murray. You have three second-year quarterbacks where you don't know what you're getting out of them in Rosen, Darnold, and Allen. So I have to disagree with you on, on at least your quarterback yeah. point. I think the quarterback schedule this year is actually weaker than it was the prior season. And you'd like to believe after drafting seven defensive players in the draft and especially beefing up and adding a ton of talent to the secondary that the Giants' defense is going to be a heck of a lot better prepared to play the pass than they were last year. Yeah, but now, the we pass don't rush know, might be worse. We don't know about the pass rush. That's still a wild card. But, but you know, it's hard-pressed to believe that they won't have more talent in the back seven. I, 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 can't, I can't even imagine you thinking that. 
Paul, I think those cornerbacks are going to take their lumps, Paul. Well, they will. They're rookies. You're, I, you're absolutely I, right. And what have I said to John time and time again? They're going to make their mistakes. The question is, how much will the Giants pay for those mistakes? Because those mistakes will be there. Rookies will make them. Mark Haynes made a bunch as a rookie. All right? And I'm sure you remember Mark. Oh, yeah. Multiple-time Pro Bowler, right? As a rookie, my, he was, he was getting is, beat. My hope is that Baker becomes as good as Mark Haynes. I kind of see Baker as the next Mark, Mark Haynes in that mold. Mark I'll tell you what. If he's as good as Mark Collins, I'll still be happy. Yeah, that too. But last but not least, and I'll hang up after I make this point. Um, like I said, I think all three components of our team are probably going to be worse this year. I really think the offense will be worse without Beckham. The defense, I, I just don't see it coming together. I think it's a work in progress because of all the youth and the kids. Mm-hmm. And the special teams, I think a lot of people are glossing over on this. And Unfortunately, I think our special teams are going to be worse than last year simply for the reason, and you guys touched upon this last week, that if we're going to be keeping – six to seven cornerbacks and six wide receivers, that's going to come at the expense of some pretty good special teams guys like Fowler and Russell Shepard and Stupar, Hamilton, Lippitt. We're going to you know, lose those special teams guys at the bottom of the roster by keeping so many quarterbacks and receivers. How do you and I'll d- take their response off the air. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike. I mean, I, I, I understand his concern on that last comment, except, except, um, I'm sure that when the Giants keep the extra DBs or the extra receivers, if they do, and that's simply a dis- open discussion. A lot for of us. those receivers, by the way, are special teams players. Too. That that's that's my comeback. My comeback is uh, those guys. How do you know they're not going to be as good on specials as the guys who get jettisoned? Right. I and 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 I think that we believe, at least you and I do, that the young defensive players that the Giants have in the back seven. Whether it's Connolly, uh, whether it's Love, whether it's Baker, uh, yeah, like Love, Love is going to be a core special team. I think we believe that. Sure, right? Yeah. And I think I think they're going to be pretty darn good. I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I get your concern. You don't know if there'll be a drop off if you make if you make some turnaround there, but it doesn't have to be. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't have to be. Well, yeah, I think that's true, and I think you like the— they have a better stable of returners in terms of punt and kick than I've seen here in probably eight years. Oh, dude. Yeah, in terms of possibilities. Coleman and Peppers is high-end kickoff guys. Right. Golden Tate has been a high-end punt return guy his entire career. Mm -hmm. Peppers can do it. Throwing Cody Latimer on kicks. Mm -hmm. So they have a bunch of— not to mention Saquon Barkley, by the way, who's someone you can... A lot of options too. now. A lot quality, of good options. Quality options. And one other thing I want to throw out there, and I think this is something Giant fans have to think about, and I don't want to spend too much time on this call because you have four more people I want to get to, and then we'll get to some more as, as you continue to call in. Everyone just assumes, well, you lose Beckham, the offense is going to be worse. Well, it's not Beckham and nothing else changed. Correct. So what you're looking at is that would you rather have Beckham or Tate Zeitler, Remmers. Because that's the difference from last year to this year. Mm -hmm. Okay? There's no Mm -hmm. more Beckham. Mm -hmm. But Zeitler upgrades right guard. Remmers upgrades right tackle. And Tate replaces Beckham. Now, Tate's not Odell Beckham Jr., but he's certainly been a very productive wide receiver in this league for a long time and knows what he's doing. Right. You upgrade the right side of the offensive line tremendously. So, does the upgrade on the offensive line make up for the downgrade 
from Beckham to Tate? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. I don't know the answer to it. It might be a push. I would be shocked if it's a push because the offensive line is the foundation of everything. Well, everything. I'm not sprouts. surprised you think that. <laughs> that's right. Everything sprouts from the offensive line. That that's the roots of the tree right there. And when you heavily upgrade your offensive line, you've got a better football team. Case closed. So that's the formula you have to look at. It's not just, oh, we lost Beckham, and of course we're not as good. But you replaced him with a good player in Tate, and you upgrade the offensive line in Zeitler and Remmers. Now, if you want to argue, you bring in Zeitler and Remmers anyway and then put Beckham with them, yeah, no crap. Of course you're going to be better that way. <laughs> Except that wasn't going to happen. But you're comparing what you had last year to what you had this year. Yeah. You're not putting together a you know hypothetical situation, which we're not dealing with. 201-939-4513. Mark of North Carolina is up next. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Uh, great. First, I want to thank you guys for uh, good coverage of Giants football. You do a really good bang-up job. Thank you. Well, thanks uh, for sticking with us. Much appreciated. Um, um, I'd like the continued discussion on the role of backups, um, you know, to the starters. Where's Lance? You know, I think I think a fifty-three man roster. You know, every player's got to be able to play the first string whenever they're called upon, and uh, at least not fail at it. You know, and I think the good—it's a good conversation about a top ten, and I and I think it's just you know we got a lot more than than ten guys that fit that bill. I think no matter who you ask, and uh, and that's a good thing to have because uh, you know I think execution was a big problem last year on getting the plays done. And I think with the group we got now, especially like I think the secondary was a big need for years anyway, and I think it's really looking good, and that's going to stop us from losing games, I think. I mean, on paper, you know, uh, the last caller, I, I don't know where, you know, I mean, the pads haven't even been put on. It's already like a failed season, really. <laughs> but I think we got a huge upgrade over last year, big time. Well, you'd like um, to believe that, but again, you know, again, it's shirts and shorts. So I appreciate the optimism, and I think there's a lot of optimism in the building. But these guys will go through their growing pains. The previous caller was not wrong in that regard, okay? Here's the thing. Here, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, Okay. Let's say that somebody runs triple receivers to the right side and, and the guys run uh, some kind of uh, a rub, rub route. And let's say Baker's standing over there and maybe he doesn't recognize it because he's a rookie. Or he switches it off incorrectly. Or he switches Whatever. it off incorrectly. Whatever. And all of a sudden, you got somebody sprinting 25 yards downfield wide open. Okay? Right. Now, that's a mistake. Now, do you get burned by it because the quarterback finds that receiver, hits that receiver in stride, and he goes all the way for a touchdown? Or, yeah. or, or does the quarterback get sacked? Is there an does he get holding on does, the play? Is there a hold? Does the quarterback uh, get rushed into throwing a bad ball that it goes incomplete? Does the receiver drop the ball? Does the receiver have to make a spectacular catch that he makes the grab and falls out of bounds and it's only a 25-yard gain instead of a touchdown, and now your defense lives to see another day? That's what I'm talking about. The rookie right. mistakes will be there if the other teams are able to maximize their efficiency and take advantage of the Giants' rookie mistakes. Then the caller has an opportunity to be right. Maybe the Giants will have a very difficult season, and their one-loss record is not going to come out so great. But you'd like to believe, 
at the very least, that a number of the rookie mistakes won't be exposed, that a fair amount will and a fair amount won't. Yeah, Mark, I would say this. I feel confident about what the offense is going to give you. I think they're going to average 24 or more per game, and I think if you do that, that, that's more than good enough. The defense, the jury's out for me. I mean, look, as Paul said, you're going to get mistakes out of young defensive backs. I have no idea what this pass rush is going to give you. And, if I, and, and if I don't know what the pass rush is going to give you, and I'm not sure how young defensive backs are going to play your own in the year, how can I know what this defense is going to give you early? So, uh, to me, I'm in total wait-and-see mode with the defense, and in my opinion, that's what's going to determine how good the Giants are this year, how quickly that defense can come together. It'll be a challenge. We'll see if they can do it. See, and the other part of this— I think, I think bringing in those safeties, though— No, it helps. Absolutely. Uh, should help. Sure it does. because they're not rookies. They're, you know— No, you're right bro. about that. You're, no, you're absolutely right, Mark. You're right about that. See, let's put it this way. If the Giants' offense averages 26 or 27 a game... Which would be spectacular. That would put them in the top eight in the league. Okay. And 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 the last month of the season, I, I know they had the outlier against the Titans where they, they couldn't do anything Which, in that horrible day. It still counts. It does count. It does count. I think I don't think it's unrealistic to expect the Giants to score at least 25 a game. I think that's fair. Okay? To expect 27 or 28, I think you might it's be a little high, a little over your skis. That's a little high. 25 to 26, I think, is realistic. Okay. I think that's a reasonable number. If you're going to score much, 25 a game... How much is, how if you, much is a defense? Score. Well, no. that's the thing now. I don't even know the numbers. You you <laughs> got it. You got to say to yourself. Well, the NFL doesn't track that. The NFL just tracks total points on on, on oh, their leaderboards. Okay. So. Right. Gotcha. What what you what you have to say is, do you think the Giants' defense is enough that, given some of the rookie mistakes and confusion that will happen, and the other team will take advantage of a bunch of them, is the Giants' defense capable of holding teams to about twenty one a game? Can they do that? Can they hold teams to 21, 22 points a game, score 25 a game? Then all of a sudden you're saying, well, a couple of breaks here or there, depending upon the week and the game, all of a sudden maybe you're 9-7 and seven and you're going to the playoffs. That could happen. Thank you, Mark. Could happen. Yeah, sure, at the, no at the, at the same time, Appreciate John, the call. Absolutely. At the same time, depending upon certain weeks and balls bouncing a certain way, all of a sudden you could be 5-11. and 11. Just to give you some... I mean, some, it could happen. Just to give you some context, last year offensively, uh, three teams were kind of in their own stratosphere. The Chiefs at 35, the Rams at 33, the Saints at 31. Those mm-hmm. are the top three. Mm-hmm. After that, it gets really messy, folks. Uh, the Patriots are at 27... I mean, I'll just literally to put it this way. The Patriots at number four were 27.2. The Texans at 11... We're 25.1. So if you get to 25, there's a good chance you're going to be a top 10 or give or take. And if you get there, okay. that's okay. If you get to 26, you have a chance to be top eight. And that's kind of the way I look at it. And and that that number makes you a competitive team, which means you should still be talking about important games in December. Whether or not you finish in the playoffs or don't finish in the playoffs, you should still have a shot in December with that type of offense if the defense is improved, if it's last year's defense, that's probably not going to get it done. Now, defensively, if you can keep teams under 24 per game, that'll put you in the top 20. If you can get them under 22, 22, 22. 
It'll put you around top 15. That's And that's that's what I'm saying right now. Last year, the Saints were 22.1. They were the 14th-ranked defense. My, and, yeah, so there you my go. realistic goal for the Giants is 25-ish a game on offense and 22-ish a game on defense. That would give you a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. And that's how I feel. Realistically speaking, that's where I think this team could be. Again, it's a very preliminary guess based on what we saw in the spring. And God only knows I may feel very differently at the end of August. But right now, that's what I'm saying. Now, that would, Paul, in theory, because that's about a plus three differential, right? Offense versus defense. Yeah. That would put you at plus 48, plus minus over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. Just for context. Yep. The Steelers went 9-6-1, missed the playoffs. They were plus 68. The Titans went 9-7, missed the playoffs. They were plus seven. The Eagles were plus 19. They made the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. The Vikings were plus 19. They missed the playoffs at 8-7-1. and one. So I think those are the teams that are probably most comparable. And the Cowboys won the division only at plus 15. So I think plus 48 would be really, really strong for this team, given where that would fall in the plus-minus spectrum. That's a great goal. And if you do do that, I believe you're a playoff team. And if you're the Giants, after three and five win seasons, that's the kind of realistic bar that you want to reach for because you want to be a serious team that has a chance to play meaningful games in December. And if they go right and you do what you need to do, then you'll make it and you'll deserve to be there. That would be a pretty high-end outcome I'd be very happy with. If they finish just positive in the plus-minus, that gives you a shot. If you're on the positive side of the plus-minus, you have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. I think that's a good goal to have. All right. Cool. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up next. Hey, Joe. Uh, hi, guys there. Uh, I want to ask you first there. I guess there's no league rules because I see here locally here the or the, the Eagles only have one free uh, yeah, uh, to, to the with their fans. There right? are I no rules. I, where the Giants have 10 or something. I guess there's no league rules that you have to have so many, correct? No, you don't have to have any if you don't want to. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, whatever. Uh, so um, uh, going on with what you're talking about, like you said, mismatches, and, and I do keep, uh, think I know they don't have a game plan for it, but I, I do think a key would be uh, – our third or fourth wide receiver, or was it Coleman or the young speedster we got? That if Slayton. They, right, if if them guys can break some, uh, catch some long ones, you know they're keeping the safety from coming up close, you know, and that that's a big thing, you know. And and Ingram being healthy out in the field, it seems like he, you know, he misses half the season all the time, you know. And Joe, uh, especially in the play action game, the tight end can be so important. It, they busy, you know, right. you know, linebacker or safety on them, they bite on the run fake. That can give a lot of room to your tight end to, to make some big plays. Right there. And uh, I do agree, Paul. I think Lawrence will be a, a big key in, in the middle there, stopping that uh, run there at first. And, like, I don't think we're going to have that many rookies out there at first. We're really only going to have one at corner start, and I, I see at first. You know, Lawrence you is going to start, Joe. Lawrence who? will start. Lawrence will start week one. No, but I mean in the back in the backfield, like I said. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. 
you know, know. you're real, probably only Baker, really, or what, or Beal, whoever wins it out, basically. Maybe, uh, maybe the slot corner could be Julian Love. That's possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's close, but you have the other guy that uh, Haley, his name Haley, right from last year, and I do think a big key is we're talking about ten players. You know what I mean? Uh, I, re- I really do think a key is again who's whoever we have covering these. Uh, tight ends because you were saying, well, Washington don't have no receivers. How are they going to score or move it? They have a good offensive line. They have running games, and they have two tight ends, which we can't cover none of them. <laughs> and then you have Dallas, you know what I mean, with Witten coming back again. You have the Eagles with their two good tight ends. And Blake Jarwin, who looked like a star last year in Week 17, r- which is r- a joke. Right. I said it's whoever's going to cover these tight ends, especially, you know, it seemed like a lot of times even – We'd be in third and twelve or third and fifteen, and there it goes right to the tight Joe, end. Joe, I got—I I have two words for you: Jabril Peppers. He's well, going to be whoever, really important whatever. doing that. that. Is, that's the key I, I want to put on it in that top ten. Who's ever covering the tight end? I want to put Lawrence, and I want to put our offensive line so they're together and not making stupid penalties, and we're running the ball good and. That's the key. So uh, thanks for taking my call. Thank Bye. you, Joe. Always appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Um, John, sometime during the course of this show, the NFL Competition Committee unanimously recommended the, the rule approved in March for instant replay of pass interference remaining in effect for the 2019 oh, season boy. only. It says the replay official will stop the game after the two-minute warning of each half and during overtime, okay, as I continue to read through this, when there is a clear and obvious visual evidence that a pass interference foul may or may not have occurred based on viewing the play live or any initial replay. And they have highlighted clear and obvious. A stoppage will occur under strict criteria, uh, strict, stricter criteria than for other reviewable plays to prevent excessive game stoppages. Boy, that's going to be all sorts of controversy. <laughs> that is just going to be so subjective. It says a decision on the field will only be reversed based on clear and obvious visual evidence that the ruling was incorrect, the same standard for all reviews. This is wholly dependent on the video angles shown by the broadcast network. Right, which is not surprising. Okay, and let's see. Is there anything more to the rule? Uh, it Thank says you for the by, NFL by putting the, the words up here so we can actually look at this, by yes, the way, without the, the volume up. By rule, pass interference requires an act that significantly hinders, in quotes, an opponent's opportunity to make a play on the ball. Also subjective. <laughs> oh, boy. All passing plays will be subject to review for pass interference. The Hail Mary play will be reviewed in replay consistent with the guidelines for officiating the play on the field. Also subjective. <laughs> oh, baby. That's going to be a lot of gray area we're talking about. Dude, that is all gray area, man. That whole damn thing is gray area. Here's how I look at it. All right. And this is how I believe it's and, going to work. And, and I, frankly, I think it's the way it should work, but it's still going to get dicey. They're not going to review those things from the booth unless they know that they're going to overturn it. I think you are rarely going to see them stop the game, review a pass interference call inside two minutes, and have the play on the field stand. Because as they just said, they're only going to summon the review if it's clear and obvious. Right. So if it's already clear and obvious, it's probably going to get overturned, right? <laughs> you would think I mean, so. That, that makes sense, right? <laughs> you would think so. So I, I think that is going to be used 
only in scenarios like what we saw in the Saints-Rams playoff game where it's like, dude, obvious. If guys are hand fighting, you know, unless the DB, you know, really yeah. Yeah. gets the arm and holds it and hooks it, maybe. But if there's just pushing and shoving and hand fighting, I don't think they're going to review those. And I don't, frankly, the way the rules are now, I don't think they should. I have another significant problem with this. What's that? And it's even a bigger problem on other plays, not just passing. And by the way, pick plays are another thing. Because pick plays can be pretty obvious sometimes, too. That's offensive pass interference. Just, just say it. Boy, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's. How about on the goal line with all those little rub routes they run? That's going to be a mess. You know how many of those are run every Sunday? Every week. Oh, dozens. It's ridiculous. I'm anyway. sorry. Offensive coaches out there. Rub routes, yeah, not pick exactly. plays. Sorry, Ben McAdoo used to get mad at me when I, used I know to say that. that. I know so that all the time. <laughs> Go ahead, Gilbride too. Oh yeah, Key didn't like it either. <laughs> right. Uh, I have a huge problem with all of this as far as the replay system is concerned, and that is they're saying specifically in this ruling that it's the broadcast network cameras that they're going to use. Well, but that's all the cameras they have, right? Okay, here's what I've been talking about, and, I, and I've talked about this with, with some NFL executives too. Look, I do games in the NEC. John works sidelines with me on the games, okay? That is an FCS conference. It's a mid-major FCS conference. They actually have nine GoPros, for lack of a better term, yeah, GoPro-type cameras, mm -hmm. which are in every single home field in the conference. And, they're, and they are installed in a standardized area. And they've got a guy in the replay booth with a laptop who gets to look at all nine of those cameras at every single game when there is a replay review. He also gets to look at the televised ESPN3 copy if he wants to and feels there's a need to. It boggles my mind that the NFL cannot uniformly put standardized cameras in every NFL stadium so that the replay official in the booth, who's being given more power these days, and quite frankly should be, has an opportunity in every single instance to look at a standardized camera shot. Why is it that he's only going to get a look at the TV network replays when Sunday Night Football has more cameras and more angles? But guess what? If you're the El Stinko fifth game of the week on a Sunday, there's only seven cameras maybe at that game, and you're not going to get all the angles that you're supposed to have. El Stinko. Right? <laughs> it's the El Stinko game between the, 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 the Buccaneers and the, uh, I don't know, and the Browns or whatever. You know, it's not a major market game, and it's on, on, it's on a Sunday at 1 o'clock, and it's the fifth game on the schedule. And we know the NFL will tell you this. If you ask them or ask the networks, they'll tell you that there are games that get more cameras than other games. Sure. They're higher-priority games. So why in the interest of fair play and competition, why can't the NFL spend the money because the technology exists? If it exists at the FCS level, in the league that I'm working at now and you're working at now, why can't the NFL spend the money, have the technology, and standardize replay cameras at every NFL facility so that every replay guy has an equal chance to see an equal vantage point of the play? Why are we relying on the networks when we know that some of these games have substandard video uh, opportunities going on? I'll, before I, I gotta get the last three calls. Am I right or wrong? No, you're right. Let me just say one final thing, but before I get to the calls, and I'll be quick. All right. Two things: one good, one bad. The good: this should solve the problem the NFL is trying to solve. 
in eliminating the egregious mistakes on pass interference penalties that can cause a team to win and lose a game. The obvious ones, even without your cameras in every stadium, Paul, they're going to get fixed. You could have one camera. They would have gotten that <laughs> Saints-Rams play right yeah. last year. 75,000 yeah, saw it. Exactly. So <laughs> this will solve that problem, which is a good thing. And that's a good thing. Yes. It is not going to stop people from yelling, screaming about penalties and mistakes and reviews at the ends of games. That okay. will continue in mass. Yep. But I don't think there's a way to stop that. Let's go to Anthony in Charleston. He's up next. Anthony? Hey, guys. Hello. What's up? Hey, I'm glad Paul is here because um, I have a framework for an 18-game season. I want to see if he cringes. Go ahead. Um, so <laughs> we've got – well, by the way, thanks for looking at my list. That was actually my list. Oh, it was, it was oh, a good wow. list. Anthony. How about Thank that? you for that. Yeah, I, I was actually listening, and I noticed I was like, this topic sounds familiar. So <laughs> thanks, guys. No problem. Uh, <laughs> um, so 18-game season. Here we go. Um, and I've thought about this, Paulie, because of, you know, players and the impact. I mean, I played over 100 games, so, you know, my, my thought is a balanced approach. I know the NFL wants to get there. Just remember, we're, before we're, you we're, before you do this, just remember something. I'm not against 18 games. I've said this before. I watched the USFL. I covered it for three years, and they right, had 18 games right. every season. So I'm not against 18. It's no, okay. Lance. It's Lance who's against 18. So the... You know, I'm thinking from a player perspective, right? Okay. So if we remove if if we remove two preseason games, you get two weeks in the schedule. Right. I would like to replace those with two new bye weeks. So for an 18 game season, you have three bye weeks, one essentially every six weeks, giving players much needed rest. Okay. You can start camp. You can start camp two weeks earlier. You still finish the same time. Now, Anthony, remember, Anthony, not. real quick, remember, the NFL would actually like to move back the end of the season a couple weeks sure. to match up with President's Day. So you might not have to move up to start. Just, just FYI. Fair mm -hmm. enough. Right, fair enough. No new playoff team. Still put the emphasis on the season. Make that – it's nice that it's the smallest playoffs basically in all of United States sports, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can – you play another division. So you play yours twice. Right. You play two in your conference, and you play one in the opposite conference. So that makes up for the two extra games. Yeah. Yep. That, okay. And, that's eighteen. That's fine. The only the problem, Anthony, the only issue with that, you're not going to have any schedule weighted for winning percentage a year before correct. then. That's the only thing that people might not like about that. That's that's fine. I mean, that I, honestly, it doesn't matter anyway. The teams change over every year anyway. That's fair too. I mean, there's. So the, the way that we compensate for that is, you know, the teams should get earlier access to players in the offseason. The new CBA should compensate for access. I think it's a little too closed off, you know, when the season's actually over. That would allow them to actually ramp people up a little bit quicker, allowing you to evaluate players because you have two fewer games in the season. I think it would actually mean you probably need to increase the rosters. The number I had in my head was – 60 total, and then 53 on game day. Because in college, when we played, you had 100 guys in the <laughs> Tell me about so, it. <laughs> <laughs> so you can play. You can actually, you know, and that's some of the stuff that people don't notice, but you actually get hurt during practice because you're filling in. You're on the scout team, and there's sure. a lot of issues that actually happen that people don't pay attention to. I don't think there's any issue with that. You get a crazy amount more revenue. There's good stuff that's reported out there. But I think the three bye weeks is the thing that I, I stick with because – 
think about the Sunday to Thursday schedule. You have more flexibility now to reduce mm. those games. Wow. And you all, and you, and you also have the ability for you guys know after a bye week when everyone gets healthy, those are better games. Period. And so all you're doing is stretching the season out. You're giving the players more time. You still get your two extra games. But in this case, you look at the NFL and the players both getting something out of this. That's right? not, that is um, not anyway, a bad – Anthony, that's, that, that's good. Appreciate I, the call, I, I got to think about that it's not one. bad. He's got a possibility there. You could also increase the practice squad, too, to help that type of thing yeah. that you're doing in practice. I, I, I definitely want to digest that one. And the, the other one that I heard the other day, too, which I'm not sure that I like at all, is go to the 18-game schedule. And guys can only play 16 games? Yeah. That one? Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, no, you, no. every guy has to sit for two games. You like have to deactivate a no, guy like for it. two games no, every year. I'm, I'm, to me, that's like chewing on nails. I don't think I like it very much. Now, a lot of those guys... I don't think so. Now, injuries might make those decisions easy for they you. They might. But I still don't like it. I, I, I'm inclined not to go there either. But that was another it. one that was thrown out. Lance would love it, but he'd be, be a lot of depth involved and experience. And anyway. th- there was one other one that I heard the other day on Sirius. They said go 17 games oh, no. and only add one playoff team per conference, and then only the top seed in each conference would get a bye mm-hmm. instead of numbers one and two. There are so many different ways to do this. Yeah, I, I don't think any of them will happen, to be honest with you. That's just my guess. Duke and Queens, what's up, Duke? we got to go a little quick. We're past 1 o'clock already. Sorry about that, Duke. What's up? Hey, what's up, guys? Um, John, uh, R.J. Barrett tonight? Before I get to my two questions, you think yes. you get R.J. Barrett tonight? I, I think he will be the pick. I hope so. Okay, so Yeah, right? I hope so, too. <laughs> um, since, since we're late, press the time. I got two questions, and then I'll take your answer off the air. Yeah. Uh, my first question is, um, Daniel Jones, the, the way, you know, you can't really tell much about him and the type of play he's going to be right now, but if you have to pick one, like, key Trader key characteristic that he's going to possess and have for like the you know the, for the duration of his career. Like I just wanted to know what you guys think that will be. Okay, and what's number what two about him right now? Okay, and, and then my second my second question is this. Um, you know, last year we didn't really take any questionable guys. You know, Will Hernandez, Saquon Barkley, what have you, in the draft. But this year, it seems like we took a, like a, a bigger chance to give in Daniel Jones' record, and we don't know what he would be with a good team. Uh, uh, Dexter Lawrence with his injuries, Ocean Zimenez from a small school. I just wanted to know why you guys think we took a bigger chance this year. Thank you. Appreciate the call, Duke. I don't think the front offices think they took a bigger chance. I think mm-hmm. their evaluation of these players, despite the things you talked about, were just as solid as they were the prior season, despite maybe those obstacles in, in getting a clear view of the players. I don't think the Giants front office thinks they took a risk there. I guarantee you the medical staff did extensive research on these guys because when the football ops tell the medical, we really like these guys as football players now, give me a reason why the medical's going to red flag him and, and put, bring him down. And they didn't get it. Yeah, and Lawrence did get healthy at the end of the season. Like, he, you know, the whole drop, the, drop foot thing went away and... He should be fine. Remember, this 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 front office is taking less risk than the previous front office did. So Especially you those, know yeah. they got double thumbs up on the medical for these guys or they wouldn't have taken Especially them. Especially on day two. Um, real quickly, the first part of his question I get to. Uh, the one thing I'm really confident Dan Jones would be good at, given his intelligence and his ability and his, his hard work and his studying, I feel very good that he'll be a guy that's able to diagnose pre-snap 
and call out protections. I, I think, suspect as much. I too. think from what I've seen so far, it's way too early for me to make any determinations on anything else. I feel really good about that part of his game. I'd be very surprised if he looks lost out there. And by the way, you can check out Daniel Jones. We had him for more than 20 minutes on the Giants Huddle podcast. Make sure you go check that out. I tweeted it out. The Giants have tweeted it out. Uh, go to your favorite podcast platform and make sure you check that out. Um, the Giants Huddle Podcast. I talked to Daniel Jones. Dave and Cranford. Dave, put an express on one this one for me, pal. Go ahead. No, I, I promise, John. I, John, it's actually two things that you said, and I'll leave you with this. And but, but they both have a point for Paul and the roster and just kind of looking at this roster overall. John, you said uh, this past week that guys coming that you didn't want to sign some other guys that potentially could fit here or there, mainly because you really want to see a chance for a number of the guys that we have and not to have snaps taken away from them. Yes. And I think that's a critical piece to this roster. And the last thing I'll leave you with is something we've talked about before, and that is cut-down day. I think this year you're going to see a radical difference of what happens on cut-down day. Yes. I think it's much more likely that a corner, a receiver, and I actually think a backup center or lineman – could get picked up by other teams that are looking for those spots. And I think that maybe we might pick up one or two, but I don't think it'll be more than that. And I think that tells you where they think the roster is compared to last year. 100%. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it, David. If you go back historically, the last four or five years, if you look at the Giants, the players that the Giants cut on cutdown day, they don't pick up anywhere else the quality of the roster is greatly enhanced. There's no question. Well, he made two very logical statements. We'll see where it is on cutdown day. We'll see if that's true. I suspect it will be. We'll see what happens. Yep. Paul, good stuff. All right. Remember, show, remember, folks, no show tomorrow. Office is closed on Friday uh, for the rest of the summer until camp begins. Uh, so we'll be back with you on Monday on Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Paul Dettino, I'm John Schmunk. Thanks for being with us. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. We'll see you next time. Enjoy your weekend. Adios.